0: Privilege. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Bible that brings us light in this dark and confusing world. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand your word. Father, we're so grateful for men of God like these pastors who have been speaking over the last three nights. Thank you for your blessings in their lives and the time that you've given them to study your word so that your people can be fed. And Father, our great desire is that you would take all that has been said over these three nights and that you would use these things to strengthen our faith, to fan the flames of love in our hearts. And Father, to give us a greater commitment to following Christ no matter what the cost and in every area of our lives. Father, we thank you for speaking to us just moments ago about forgiveness. Father, help us to sense how great was our sin debt and therefore how amazing your forgiveness really is. And now, Father, as we think about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, would you cause our hearts to burn within us as we wait for that great day? Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 If you would, open up with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 25. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to round out our conference on the parables with the parable of the wise and foolish virgins from Matthew 25. And this parable takes place in the context of a wedding, a wedding feast, a marriage. And I recently read an online article discussing some of the different customs that various cultures have when it comes to marriage. Apparently, among the Daur people of Mongolia, a bride and groom do not finalize their wedding date until they kill a black chick and then, with a knife, open it up and inspect its liver. If the liver is healthy, that's a sign that the date they've chosen is acceptable. If the liver is unhealthy, they would be best to choose another date. In parts of Scotland, brides typically endure the pre-marriage ceremony of having their bridesmaids mix together all sorts of disgusting things into a nasty, sometimes soupy concoction, which is then thrown all over the bride. In parts of India, women born at a certain time of year are said to be cursed, and if they dare marry any man in their cursed state, he is sure to have an early death. And therefore, before these ladies can marry a man, custom says they must first marry a tree. After the marriage to the tree is finalized, the tree is chopped down, and the curse is said to be lifted, and the woman can now marry any man she pleases. In Fiji, men wishing to marry a woman are expected to present to the woman's father the tooth of a whale. And among the Yugur people, the custom before the wedding is for the groom to shoot his bride with a bow and arrow three times. The arrows do not have arrowheads, of course, and afterwards the groom goes and gathers the arrows, and then he breaks them. One more. In French Polynesia, on the Maroasis Islands, after the wedding reception is over, all of the bride's relatives lie side by side face down in the dirt. The bride and groom then walk across the human rug of relatives, as they exit the reception on their way to their honeymoon. Pretty exciting wedding, I would say. (laughs) Well, among the ancient Jews, their marriage customs were not as strange as some of those. Typically, arrangements were made by the father of the groom and the father of the bride, while both children were still really young. That is, a boy and a girl would grow up having been intended For one another. Uh, They've had no say in the arrangement of who they are to marry. But then when the boy becomes a man and he is ready to marry, it is up to him to come to the father of the young lady and to pay a bride price. This money that the young man would pay to the father of the bride was to show evidence that the young man was capable of taking care of this man's daughter. It was often set aside by the father of the bride just in case the young couple found themselves in financial trouble at some point in their marriage. On this same occasion, when the bride price was being paid, vows were exchanged between the man and the woman. And at that point, they were considered betrothed. To be betrothed was to be almost married. It was much stronger than our being engaged to end a betrothal, you had to obtain a divorce. If the man died during the betrothal period, the bride was considered a widow. But throughout this betrothal period, the bridegroom would be separated from his bride for a period of time. This was his time to make preparations for his new wife. And sometimes this period of separation could be a few months, Sometimes it could be more than a year. But when the young man's trade was established, and when his finances were in order and the house was ready, the bridegroom would return for his bride. And she and her bridesmaids would be eagerly waiting. And there would be a great wedding feast at the home of the bride. And after the feast was over, the bride would then be taken into her new home and into the chambers of the bridegroom where the marriage will have fully begun. And so the parable that we're about to read speaks of a bridegroom at the end of the betrothal period coming to get his bride. The promises have already been made. The bridegroom has been away for a while. He's been making preparations, and now he's coming to get his new wife. He is coming for the wedding feast at her house. And the bridesmaids, or in this parable, These young maidens, not yet married themselves, their role is to wait for him outside, so that when he comes, they can receive him with celebration and with rejoicing. They may be waiting for him at the city gates, they may be waiting for him just outside the home of the bride. It's nighttime, and they're holding torches, and they're ready to welcome the bridegroom. So let's read, beginning in Matthew 25 and verse 1. This is the word of God. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So I want to end this conference with five observations from this parable. Five observations from this parable. Here's the first one. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. The Bible loves to use this imagery to speak of our Lord Jesus Christ. The relationship of Christ to his people is like that of a bridegroom to his bride. Remember in Matthew 9, we have the disciples of John the Baptist coming to Jesus, and they're saying, The disciples of John, they're fasting. But Jesus, your disciples are not fasting. You're going from house to house and you're feasting with tax collectors and and sinners. Why is this? Why are you not fasting? And Jesus said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. In other words, Jesus says, You don't fast when the bridegroom is with you. You fast when the bridegroom is absent and you're longing for him to return. But most important for our purposes, Jesus very clearly is referring to himself as the bridegroom of his people. In John 3, folks came to John the Baptist saying, John, do you see how all of your followers are leaving you? They're leaving you to go after this man, this Jesus of Nazareth. What do you have to say about that? John said, you yourselves bear me witness. I said, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice and therefore this joy of mine is now complete. In other words, John says, I'm not the bridegroom and therefore the bride is not for me. These people are flocking to Christ. These people are listening to him. They're learning from him. They're trusting him. They're becoming a part of him. And that makes my joy complete because it's the bride going to the bridegroom. Ephesians five twenty five through 27 a passage I know you're familiar with. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. My dear friends, the bride is made up of the church in every age. Those who have believed on Jesus Christ from the first preaching of the gospel in Genesis 3 to the last preaching of the gospel on the very last day of this age. All who have ever believed make up this bride. And Jesus is our bridegroom. And what a bridegroom he is. Think about this. In the eyes of a holy God, we are unattractive. Our sins make us stink. We are putrid, we are gross, and no one would choose us to marry. And yet Christ, who is God himself, looks upon us in all of our filth, in all of our greed and selfishness and bitterness and lust and anger, and he chooses to love us in spite of all of that. He sets his love upon us, not because we are lovely, but in order to make us lovely. And the price that he pays for us is so heavy. What must Jesus pay to our Father in order to have us? We're not just unattractive, we're criminals. We're criminals with a price on our head. Jesus cannot have us. We owe a debt to justice. Hell is waiting for us. And yet Christ pays the price the law demands of us with his own blood. He goes to the cross and he bears the very wrath of God for his bride. This is the price he pays that we would be his and he ours. And friends, if he was willing to do that for us, can we doubt that he would do anything else necessary to make sure that we are with him forever in glory? Jesus paid the bride price and now he is betrothed to us his church. And Jesus has now gone away to make preparations, but he told his disciples, I'm coming back. I've gone to prepare a place for you, he said, but I will return that where I am, you may also be. He is coming back to gather to himself all of his people from all ages and all the corners of the globe. And the bride of Christ will stand before him, having been washed in his blood, perfect in soul, perfect in body, and he will take us into the new heavens and the new earth, the chambers of our bridegroom where we will be blessed forever in ways that we can't even possibly comprehend today. Are you ready for the bridegroom to come? Do you pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly? Are you one of those strange people that live your life with one eye on the eastern sky, wondering every day if the day might just be today? Can you say, like the bride in the Song of Solomon, that you are sick with love? That your betrothed husband is altogether desirable, altogether lovely. He is the fairest of ten thousands, and you cannot wait for him to come and take you to himself. Are you eager for the coming of Christ? He is coming. Observation two, a wedding feast is coming. A wedding feast is coming. In in Hebrew culture, the celebration of the day when the groom came to get his bride, this was celebrated through a wedding feast. Sometimes the feast itself lasted several days. It was a time of great joy. And the Bible uses this picture of a wedding feast to describe what it will be like on the day when Jesus Christ comes back for his bride. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Will you be there? Will you be there at the great marriage supper of the Lamb? Are you one of the blessed ones who has been called, who has received that Holy Spirit-empowered invitation to be there? when that day comes, it will be the highest joy that you've ever experienced. Every wedding joy that's ever been known on earth, every moment of celebration, every moment of happiness that we have ever known, they have all been just a tiny drop compared to the ocean of delight. We will know when we see our Savior's face. Third observation. We learn here that the bridegroom will be delayed the bridegroom will be delayed. The disciples seemed to think that Jesus was going to return very soon. And there is some evidence that maybe even Paul expected the return of Christ to be within a few decades of Jesus' ascension into heaven. But it's not what happened. Since Jesus ascended into heaven, years turned into decades. And decades turned into centuries. And centuries turned into millennia. It's been 2,000 years and the bride is still waiting. And the bridegroom has not come. And it is a wonderful kindness and grace of God that we have this parable in our Bibles because this parable teaches us ahead of time not to be surprised that the bridegroom is delayed. We've been given prior warning. In fact, all throughout Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, Jesus has been warning his disciples about the danger of being deceived into thinking that the second coming is at hand when it isn't. Matthew 24, verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Matthew 24, verse 23, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. In the parable right before this one, Jesus speaks of a master who is delayed in his coming. And then in Matthew 25, verse 19, Jesus says, Now after a long time, a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Five times in Matthew 24 and 25, we're told that the second coming of Jesus will be a long time coming. So don't be surprised at this. Don't think 2,000 years, and let your heart lose, lose hope and begin to get discouraged and fall into unbelief. Peter says, "A day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day." And Jesus told us ahead of time that he would be delayed. So don't lose faith. He's coming. When the time is right, He's coming. Number four. The wise will be ready when the bridegroom comes. The wise will be ready when the bridegroom comes. We have these ten young maidens who are friends of the bride. And in this parable, these young ladies appear to represent the the visible professing church. Interestingly, the bride doesn't show up in this parable. Don't let that mess you up. In some parts of the Bible, the church is represented as the bride. In this parable, the focus is on the bridesmaids, and they represent the professing visible church. At the end of the day, both of these are just pictures of higher and grander realities, so don't let that confuse you. The visible church is pictured here as these maidens waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. And one of the sobering truths of this passage is that not all who are in the visible, professing church are truly Christians. Even when we practice church discipline as faithfully as we ought, and we ought to practice church discipline, shame on us if we don't. We're disobeying the Lord Jesus. But even when we do the best we can with the Spirit of God's help to practice church discipline, at the end of the day, we know that the visible people of God in this world will always be a mixed people. Of these ten virgins, only five are going to go into the wedding feast, and the other five will be left outside. Like the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus is teaching here that not everyone who claims to be a Christian really is. And on the last day, the visible church of Christ will be separated as sheep from goats to see who is real and who is not. Until that last day, the church of Christ, visibly seen in this world, will always be a mixture of people who are true, born again, believing, Holy Spirit indwelt, name written in the Lamb's book of life, people, and unbelieving, not spirit indwelt, not name the Lamb's book of life, people. And on the last day, when that great separation is made, what will matter is not your profession of faith, but your possession of faith. Do you really trust the Lord Jesus Christ? And is he genuinely your all in all? Do you love him like a bride loves her bridegroom? D.A. Carson says that the plot of this parable turns on the bridegroom's delay, and I think he's right. What makes five of these young ladies wise, and what makes five of these young ladies foolish? The five wise maidens were prepared for the delay, and the five foolish maidens were not prepared for the delay. Notice that they all fell asleep. In this parable, falling asleep is not a bad thing. Even the wise maidens fell asleep. The point here is that the delay was a long delay. Afternoon has turned into early evening, which has turned into late evening. 6 p.m. became 7 p.m., which became 8 p.m., and here you are holding your torch, and now it's 9 p.m., and now it's 10 p.m., and now it's... And they're drifting off to sleep. And then at midnight the cry comes. Maybe the watchman up on the city wall has spotted the bridegroom coming up the road. And he calls down to the maidens, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. We have that cry. Doesn't that remind you of First Thessalonians 4.16? For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. No secret rapture there. I've never heard the voice of an archangel, but I bet it would knock your socks off. Five of the virgins are ready, and they awake from their slumber, and they trim their lamps, and they get them ready, and they meet the bridegroom with rejoicing. Yes, it's midnight, but the bridegroom has finally come, and so the wedding feast begins. This is what they've been waiting for torches ablaze. It's time to welcome the bridegroom with happiness and with excitement. But the other five virgins are not ready. They brought no oil. Dear friends, what does it mean to be ready when Christ returns? If it were to happen tonight, would you be ready? What does it mean to be found with oil in your lamp? Well, one way to answer that is to see that the wise virgins were ready to receive the bridegroom, while the other five were not ready to receive him. Do you have a heart that is eager to welcome Christ when he comes? Are you longing for his return? Does his return cause you to swell with warm and wonderful thoughts? Has the thought of Christ' coming so filled your soul that you've begun to make soul preparations? Another way to answer this is to think about the lamps. Lamps give light. Five of these virgins were found with torches ablaze, shining for the bridegroom when he came. And the other five were not shining. Remember how Christ said, you are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your lights so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so to be found ready when Christ comes means to be found with your light shining, with your life proclaiming the glories of God, and the glories of Christ. Another perspective is to read this parable in light of the one that came before it. In the parable before this one, what matters is whether the servants are found faithfully obeying when the master returns. When Christ returns, will he find you being faithful in the callings he has given to you? When Christ returns, will he find you doing all things unto his glory, obeying him in every role that he has given you? All of these are real answers to what it means to be ready when Christ returns. We want to have hearts eager to receive him with gladness. We want to have lights shining brightly, our lives and words proclaiming his glory. And we want to be found faithfully carrying out the callings that God has given to us. But friends, you won't be able to do any of those things without the oil of faith. It is by faith that Christ brings us peace with God. It is by faith that Christ becomes our shepherd who leads us and guides us and protects us. It is by faith that Christ gives us strength and works in us the very works of God. Put simply, if you are not living in dependence upon Christ, looking to him, communing with him, trusting him, you won't be ready when he comes. The heart devoid of faith will not rejoice when the bridegroom comes. The person failing to trust Christ will not be shining for him. If we are not living in the truths of the gospel and the precious promises of Jesus, we will not faithfully fulfill the callings he has given to us. Put simply, without the oil of faith, we will be unready when Jesus returns. It's interesting, commentators are completely split on this parable. About half of them, think the foolish virgins had some oil in their lamps to begin with, but they ran out and they didn't bring extra. And so when the bridegroom was delayed, their oil was gone. And if that's the case, then this would be like a person who has some faith, some faithfulness, some light, some eagerness to receive Christ, but it doesn't last. It doesn't persevere. You see, true, saving, God-given faith, it endures, it presses on. It trusts Christ and longs for Christ even when it looks like He's never coming back. Friend, do you have a persevering faith? Do you have a faith that will endure to the end? Do you have a presence? I mean, do you have a faith that awaits Christ's presence even when He seems far away? Is your faith a God-given, lasting faith, or is it a man-made, fickle faith? The other commentators say, no, the foolish virgins, they didn't have any oil at all. They brought their torches but were so foolish, they didn't even think to bring any oil. Their religion was all form, but they had no power. They had the profession of faith, but not the possession of faith. They, They had a light bulb with no electricity. Is that you? Could it be that you have the outward appearances of Christianity but nothing real inside? Could it be that the Spirit of God is not within you and that genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is absent from your heart? Then, dear friend, we would urge you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. Do not delay but entrust yourself to him. Let go of anything that would keep you from Christ and place all of your hope in him and in him alone. I'll close with our fifth and final observation and it's simply this. The time to believe is now. The time to believe is now. Why didn't the wise virgins give the foolish virgins some of their oil? The foolish are asking for it. Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. And the reason the wise did not give some of their oil to the foolish is that it's impossible. In this parable, oil doesn't work that way. You see, I can't get to heaven on your faith and you can't get to heaven on mine. Oil in the lamp represents faith in the heart and I can't put my faith in your heart, and you can't put your faith in mine, at the end of the day, every one of us must stand as individuals at the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be judged not on anybody else's faith, but our own. Children in this room, teenagers in this room, you may have been brought up in church. You may have parents that love the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have a godly grandmother and a godly grandfather. You may have spent more time in church than you feel like you've spent anywhere else. But at the end of it all, this is what matters. Do you personally trust the Lord Jesus Christ yourself? Is He your Savior? Is He your bridegroom? Did he go to prepare a place for you? And is he coming back to get you? Are you resting on him and him alone for your peace with God and for your salvation? The parable ends with a very sobering word. Friends, let us reckon with these words. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut and afterwards the other virgins came also saying Lord Lord open up to us and he answered truly I say to you I do not know you watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour friends right now the door is open right now you can still be a part of the great wedding feast to come Right now, you can have Jesus Christ as your bridegroom. You can enter into a relationship with him in which you will discover what real love really is. But you must be willing to turn from your sins and entrust yourself to Christ. You must be willing to surrender your life to him. In in our wedding ceremonies, at least as they're traditionally held, the father gives away the bride to the bridegroom. She becomes his wife. When we want to become a Christian, we put away our own name. We take the name of Christ. We turn from everything that used to be our life, everything that used to be centered around us and my wants and my desires and my faults, and suddenly we say, I don't want that anymore. I want to belong to Christ. Wherever he leads, I'll go. When Jesus Christ comes back, the door will be shut. When Jesus Christ comes back, the day of salvation will have come to an end, and it will be midnight, and the opportunity will have passed. It is sheer amazing mercy that God is patient with us at all and gives us any opportunity to be saved. Do not presume upon the kindness of God. If you will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find yourself outside the feast on the last day, and you will hear those dreadful words, I do not know you. But for those who have turned from their sins, for those who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, on that day, we will know what it is to be known by him. We will experience love to a degree we've never imagined Friends, the door is set open tonight and amazing love is set before you. Will you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you give yourself to him so that you can know the depths of his wondrous love? I pray that every one of us will leave this conference trusting in Christ as our Savior, waiting for the day when we will behold his face, waiting for the day when he will take us into his chambers of the new heavens and the new earth, and we will know what real joy really is. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, should there be any person in this room that does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, that does not value him, cherish him, trust him, Father, we ask in this moment that your Holy Spirit would cause that person to be born again.